This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals only. Welcome back to another episode of the Diabetes Knowledge into Practice podcast, bringing you news, views and updates in diabetes care. Today's episode is supported by an educational grant from Novo Nordisk AS, who have had no influence on the content or the choice of faculty. I'm Emma, and today we're taking a deep dive into hypoglycemia in type 2 diabetes, including factors that put people at risk, as well as how clinicians can help patients to mitigate these risks. We're joined for a discussion of this topic by Brian Freer, who's a former consultant physician based at the Royal Infirmary of Edinburgh in Scotland, and is now Honorary Professor of Diabetes at the University of Edinburgh. His primary research interest is hypoglycemia, on which he's published many papers throughout his career. His disclosures are available in the episode notes. So firstly, what do we know about how episodes of non-severe or severe hypoglycemia can affect outcomes for people with type 2 diabetes? Well, I think before we talk about outcomes, we should probably define what we mean by severe and non-severe hypoglycemia. Uh, From a clinical point of view, non-severe is any episode where the individual can self-treat, whereas a severe episode is one where they need help for recovery. Um, And that's a very simple way of applying it. Um, For clinical trials now, there's been new definitions of uh, hypoglycemia. Um, with hypoglycemia being uh, any event under 3.0 millimoles per litre. The previous figure was 3.9 millimoles per litre, which um, is now considered an alert level. Severe hypoglycemia doesn't have to have a a blood glucose. Um, It's, again, simply any event where the individual is incapacitated by cognitive impairment and uh, requires help for recovery. Um, and I think we should also um, cover a little bit about the frequency of this in type 2 diabetes. It's still um, assumed in some quarters that this is a problem for type 1 diabetes, that people with type 2 diabetes really get hypoglycemia. Um, and that's true, of course, if they're on diet or on most oral agents other than sulfonylureas. But um, once they go on to insulin, the frequency of um, hypoglycemia, both non-severe and severe, steadily rises. Um, It never comes to the same level as in type 1. There's about three times higher in type 1 diabetes than in type 2 on insulin. But nonetheless, and this is quite a substantial um, exposure to hypoglycemia in people with type 2 diabetes. Now, you asked about what effect this has, what outcomes does this have have on on the people taking insulin. Well, it has um, obviously uh, several immediate effects and that it causes unpleasant symptoms, it causes cognitive impairment. That in itself interferes with everyday activities. But I think one of the other um, more long-term outcomes is it engenders fear of hypoglycemia. People become very afraid of uh, exposure, of of, um, perhaps being embarrassed in situations by developing hypoglycemia. So the uh, outcome of that is that they go out of their way to avoid it, usually by reducing their insulin dose or um, allowing their glycemic control to be uh, less strict to avoid um, episodes of hypoglycemia. And of course, because we all know in the long term, that's not a good idea because it then increases the risk of complications. So that's one major problem. But of course, it also has 
um, significant morbidity. Um, and um, most clinicians are aware of people having coma and seizures uh, from hypoglycemia, uh, but they also can be exposed to um, cardiovascular events. And there's now a lot of interest in the effects of uh, hypoglycemia, both severe and non-severe, on inducing cardiac arrhythmias, myocardial ischemia, cardiac failure, and so on. And this is particularly important in the type 2 diabetes population because they have much greater risk of cardiovascular disease and are therefore um, more at risk of developing these um, effects of severe hypoglycemia. And then the other problem is falls. Um, people, particularly the frail elderly uh, patients, um, at risk of falling uh, as a result of hypoglycemia, and that causes fractures and dislocations um, and may, in fact, uh, be the reason for admission to hospital. Um, finally, I should also mention driving. Driving has been a long-standing interest of mine, and uh, hypoglycemia is the major problem um, for people on insulin when it comes to driving, and that can, of course, have uh, significant implications for their driving license. So there, there are a lot of potential outcomes that can result from um, hypoglycemia uh, in people with type 2 diabetes, and th th this is a this is why this is such a particular problem to avoid. And what risk factors for hypoglycemia in type 2 diabetes do you think clinicians should be aware of? And are there any that are particularly influential or that have quite low awareness? Yes, I should distinguish, of course, between risk factors and direct causes. I mean, the causes of hypoglycemia are very well known. Um, the, the most common one is, is missing a meal or, uh, or inadequate food, but taking too large a dose of insulin or a saponoyuria, um, the, these are all causes, physical exercise, alcohol all comes into that. Risk factors, on the other hand, um, are things which will increase the uh, frequency of hypoglycemia simply because they're associated with the individual. So things like increasing age, um, and people with type 2 diabetes, longer duration on insulin is a major risk factor. So the longer they're on insulin, the, the more uh, at risk they are of developing hypoglycemia. And then there's the um, standard things that we see in both type 1 and type 2 diabetes, um, associated comorbidities like renal impairment. Significant renal failure will, will obviously uh, greatly increase the risk of hypoglycemia. Um, and there's also increased risk in people with things like cardiac failure and um, cardiac disease. Um, other risk factors, interestingly, in recent years, there's um, become apparent that people who have um, mental health disorders, particularly depression, are at greater risk. Cognitive impairment itself, if somebody has cognitive impairment, that increases the risk of severe hypoglycemia. And then there's also problems like impaired awareness of hypoglycemia. Now, that's not so common in type 2 diabetes as in type 1. Uh, type 1 is about 1 in 4 patients. In type 2 diabetes, for instance, is about 1 in 10. So um, that's not such a major risk factor there. But these are some of the um, risk factors that we have to consider um, when assessing risk for an individual patient. So what practical strategies can clinicians employ with their patients to help them minimise their risk? Well, one of the, one of the major problems um, with hypoglycemia and type two diabetes is lack of communication. Um, 
we showed in a study here in Edinburgh, but also other people have now confirmed this, that there's um, a problem in that patients don't tell their medical attendants or the nursing staff they see, they just don't tell them about hypoglycemia. And the, uh, the healthcare professionals are just as guilty in this because they don't ask. So uh, there are a whole lot of things, of course, have to be covered in any consultation about diabetes. Uh, hypoglycemia may not seem to be one of the most important, but um, it is curious that people frequently don't mention the fact that they've been having um, a lot of problems with hypoglycemia. So I think communication is, is vital here. We must put that on the list of things to be covered in any particular um, discussion with a patient if they're on insulin, particularly if they're on insulin. Um, so that's one major issue. Um, when it comes to uh, education in general, that that's very important. Not just education of the of the patient, but also of their, their relatives, people that live with them. A lot of people, of course, are living at home, so it, this doesn't always cover all bases here. But um, the education about what hypoglycemia is, what symptoms they might expect, um, and how to deal with it. So education is, is vital here. The other things that we need to consider are um, the medications being used and choice of insulin regimens. And that also ties up with the targets for glycemic control. So, so th th there's quite often a lot of particularly um, effects, again, the frail elderly patient is on far too much treatment and they're being uh, given too much therapy to try and lower their hemoglobin A1c inappropriately, uh, particularly if life expectancy is not particularly long. So there's no point in trying to avoid long-term complications at the expense of exposing them to severe hypoglycemia. So there are situations where it may be possible not to use insulin. I think using like GLP-1 agonists or uh, a lot of people now using SGLT2 inhibitors in addition to the conventional um, treatments like metformin and so on. Or if people are on insulin, already on insulin, uh, making sure that they're on a suitable insulin regimen, which is uh, straightforward and simple for them to manage, um, and also that they understand how to adjust it. And that means monitoring. So it's uh, essential that they, not only are they on the appropriate insulin regimen, but they're also doing frequent blood glucose testing. So I, I think there are certain situations where we can uh, adjust their treatment and move them from one treatment to another uh, to try and avoid um, exposure to hypoglycemia. Um, insulin analogues are, are now more widely used than they were in the past. So I think there's no case for using things like isopene and lenti insulin and so on. Um, the insulin analogues do help to uh, reduce the frequency of hypoglycemia, particularly at night. So nocturnal hypoglycemia, which is a big problem, has been reduced um, in many um, studies have done on this by using uh, insulin analogues. So there are various ways that we can try to um, adjust uh, treatment and try and minimize the risk of hypoglycemia. Uh, just say one more thing about monitoring. Um, blood glucose monitoring, of course, is, is standard, usually done by capillary blood glucose testing. But the introduction of the new technologies with flash glucose monitoring and continuous glucose monitoring 
um, has transformed the lives of many people with type 1 diabetes. Unfortunately, uh, these have not been made available um, for people with type 2 diabetes. But it, interestingly, the um, recommendations now from NICE on the management of type 2 diabetes is now uh, strongly recommending that people on insulin are um, allowed to have flash glucose monitoring and continue or continuous glucose monitoring. So I think that's a, a major step forward. And um, assuming that that is accepted um, and gets onto the, um, uh, the drug tariff, then uh, that will be a great help, I think, for many people with type 2 diabetes or an insulin. And finally, what's your take home message for clinicians? Well, I think I think the take home message here is not to underestimate uh, the potential risk and frequency of hypoglycemia in people with type two diabetes on insulin. Uh, it's a big problem. Um, it's being uh, un underestimated, undervalued, and and not managed appropriately. And I think um, we've covered the major issues which. Uh, I, I see as important here, um, education, patients and their relatives, um, appropriate glycemic targets, uh, which are appropriate to the age and the clinical state of the individual, particularly people who have a lot of comorbidities or are frail and elderly, um, and uh, a, a choosing appropriate treatment for them. So the, these are the sort of key uh, factors, I think, which um, which most clinicians need to address um, when managing people on insulin. So uh, hypoglycemia is is a major, still a major problem. Hopefully, with advances in insulin therapy, with advances in technology, this is going to become a smaller and smaller problem. But at the moment, it's still there and it still has to be managed. This brings us to the end of the episode. In summary, open discussions around hypoglycemia for people with type 2 diabetes is key to understanding the scale of the issue. Strategies to help mitigate risk include comprehensive education, appropriate therapy selection and employment of monitoring technologies. Thanks for joining us. Please subscribe to the podcast on your favourite app or recommend us to your colleagues. You can stay up to date by following us on Twitter at DKI Practice or connecting on LinkedIn. We look forward to joining you next time.